during growth, I think that's the hardest thing. With my anxiety, with anything, it's the knowing that there is the angel on my shoulder that's like, we can do this. Let's do this. Let's get better. And then also knowing that it's also me that's keeping myself from that is like one of the hardest things to know. Hi there. I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. Learn from the most impactful voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development as we guide you through the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I'm here to support you as you break limiting patterns, embrace your wild, and let go of the noise. It's time for us to rise together. So I have been working with, mentoring, becoming friends with this young woman for probably six or seven years now. And I initially met her when I was working in television and sports and she asked to shadow me on the sidelines. And so I started working with her in television and lo and behold, just a year ago, she started to experience crippling anxiety. And it had been building for quite some time, but last year it really took over. She ended up leaving her job and reaching out to me and wanting to know how to handle this transition and diving deep into personal development and spirituality and wellness and how she could support herself in this work. So today's guest is anonymous and... I've never done this before, but after a phone call we had last week, I felt really passionately about having her on the show because she is someone that almost all of us can relate with. And she is actually in the thick of things right now. She's not a CEO. She is not the founder of a company. She is not an Instagram influencer. And she is not the standard guest that I would have on this show. She is so incredibly brave because of that. And when I offered this to her, she said, hell yes, which made me giggle because she listens to the show every week and texts me questions and thoughts. And can you please talk about this? And I would love if you could address that. And I thought that because of our community and the amount of raw honesty that we share with each other every week and every day on social media, She is exactly who we can all learn from and admire for her transparency, for her humility, and for her willingness to be this brave. We talk about the fact that she has never had an orgasm ever by herself or with a partner. We talk about leaving her job. We talk about the feeling of anxiety and how that has been dictating much of her life. We talk about journaling and how that has really impacted her and the way she is going deeper and deeper day by day. The comparison and the shame that she experiences, the disconnection from her body, and the way control has been so prevalent in her mind. This is so powerful and so special. And I am just really proud of her and her willingness to 
get into it because let me tell you guys something. This is not easy to do, to have a microphone in front of your face and know that you're sharing your story with thousands of people and to be that vulnerable. So enjoy this share and conversation and somewhat of a little coaching session with me and you get a glimpse into what it's like for us as we work through a lot of things together over the last few years. Enjoy. So I'm really excited to do this with you. Yay, I'm so excited. This is the first time I've ever done something with a guest who is anonymous. It's weird, especially (laughs) since like I know you and we've talked for so long, but I, you know, when you reached out to me and you said that this could just be so helpful to so many people because I'm not going through it alone and I'm not the only one. One, I love talking to you. And two, I mean, anything I can do to help support people and help get the message out there that whatever you're going through is okay. When I think it's funny that, I mean, what did I meet you four years ago? Probably even more. Yeah. Yeah. Probably six years ago. You're like a little baby. Now you're like a grown ass woman. I know. And it's so funny that we're sitting here having this conversation. I know. And I, we were just talking about this, but I feel like throughout the different phases of both of our lives, you've just been so helpful in that sports phase when that's like both all we wanted. You were so helpful there. And then when I saw that you started this whole new podcast thing and this wellness point in your life, which was at a time when I needed a lot of wellness in my life that I wasn't paying attention to. I was initially nervous to reach out to you and then I did. And you by far over anyone were the most supportive and the most like good for you for taking control of your life and doing that. And that just like made me feel so good. And I feel like we're like on this journey together and it's so nice to have you as a mentor. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, from day one of meeting you, I've seen so much of myself in you and I think that can be scary because you see like this younger version of yourself and you're like, whoa, like that's tough. And I understand where you're coming from. But I also know, not that, not on the other side, because I wouldn't say I'm like on the other side and I'm perfect now, <laughs> but it's just all the lessons that I've been through and the things I've experienced. And I look at you and I can be like, girl, you got this. I remember that feeling exactly. And it wasn't that long ago. It was a couple of years ago. And I understand how it feels for you. And so it feels so nice to be able to have these conversations. And I learned so much from supporting you, you know? So I love that back and forth. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have parents, you have friends, you have family who, you know, go through anxiety or go through whatever they're suffering through. But for me, and I've told you this, there's nothing like talking to someone who's just truly been in your shoes and knows what it's like. And for someone like that, who's been there and said, hey, look, I'm getting to the other side of this. You'll get there too, is immensely helpful. Mm, I'm so glad you feel that way. Yeah. So you brought your journal, which is so brave of you because not only did you text me <laughs> pictures of your journal entries the other day, which I was so honored. I was like, damn, this girl, trust me. Because um, I don't know if I would do that with anyone else myself. Um But you brought your journal with you and I was just looking through it as we kind of find uh, our flow for the day. But I saw something that I would love for you to share with everyone to get this started. Yeah. Okay. So the quote is, universe, I ask that you help me relinquish 24 years of control. Let me accept who I am. Let me be present. Let me be okay with where I am. Just let me be. How does it make you feel reading that? I think to be perfectly honest, there are times when I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like... I know when I was writing that, I felt it. And I was like, I'm over this. Like, I'm ready to let it go. But there are times when I'm like, 
nah, you know, it's not that easy. It's not whatever. But I know that I've grown so much even just to be able to write those things down and to be able to send those to you and to have you read them and to just say like, I'm doing that work. I I never thought that I would be able to. It just seemed too scary at first. Had you journaled prior to going through the last kind of year of transition? No, I always just like felt weird. It felt like, I would say honestly, the biggest thing, because I feel like my biggest thing is thought spinning. I was like, my hand and a pen can't move fast enough. But I think it's honestly so nice. And there are times, and I think I learned this from you too, but where I'll just journal something that's not necessarily about a topic, but just like get words out. And after I'll rip it out and throw it in a fire. And like, there is something so cathartic about that, which like, I didn't realize until I did it. And I think it's kind of that hesitation of like, you see all these things and like, what's actually going to help me? What's really going to work? And I was so hesitant to it. And then when I did it, I just noticed how much it really helped. Mm -hmm. Well, and something you and I have been working through the last few weeks is going deeper in your journaling. So you initially sent me some stuff about a month ago, probably. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud of you because... Can you remind... Do you remember what that was? Yes. It was so good. Yes. So I found this thing on Instagram that was like an A to Z gratitude thing. So you had to like find things from A through Z. So it wasn't just like, oh, things you're grateful for, which is also great. But it made you think more and it made you think more outside the box when you get to Z and you get to Q and all those things. Um, And I sent it to you. And when I sent it to you, I was like, this is perfect. I did great. And it's not that you didn't say that, but you were like, go deeper because yeah, there were a lot of things that were like donuts and like very surface level things. But I saw what you meant. And like, I think that it's so important, like you said, to just go past certain things. And I can feel myself almost sometimes when I'm in that better headspace, hitting that wall of like, ooh, that's too scary to go there. Like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. And I can see that physical wall and I can understand what you mean by let's literally go over there. Let's jump that fence and do that. Yeah, because you did such a great job. And I didn't want to take that away from you. But I know that on the other side of that are so many answers and almost the pieces of the puzzle that you're looking for. Totally. And we limit ourselves with boundaries of thinking this is as far as we can go. This is as far as we can push ourselves. And then all of a sudden, you just take one further step and you're like, holy shit, I didn't even know this was here. Right. And that's where you were. And then you sent me this journal last week of four pages of just freaking deep glory. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah. Like she went there. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I was journaling about that I sent you was body image. And I was talking to my therapist about it. And which also normally I would never say to someone that I go to therapy, but now I'm like, everyone go to therapy. It's the best because it's true. But um, (laughs) she was saying, I was saying to her that I was having some body image issues and I was taking workout classes and I just was spending the whole time comparing myself instead of just being in a workout and having an hour to just sweat it out. And she was like, you know, try journaling on that and see if there's anything that you think in the background that could attribute to it. And at first I was like, okay, I really don't think so. I just, you know, like feeling comfortable in the mirror. And when I started writing, I had such vivid memories of stuff from early childhood, from middle school, from all this stuff that I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, I feel like with therapy and with doing this deep work, you think that it's like one thing that when you're in this current moment, no, like this is what's so stressful, but you realize that there's so much that's built up before that's leading to that big moment. And I think that this helped me uncover so much of that. And you like, don't think about it currently, but when you sit down and you're like, okay, right now I'm going to think about this and what in my past has brought that up. 
And it was, I could think of so many vivid moments that I just never would have thought of if I didn't just take the time to sit down and work through it. Mm. Why do you think you've gotten to the point now where you're willing to like call me about very intimate mm-hmm. details? You're willing to go to therapy. You're mm-hmm. willing to share this. Granted, not with your name, but with so many people. Right. You're willing to journal deeper. Why right now? I think that a lot of it, you know, as we've discussed, I left my job a little while ago. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I had a goal in my mind since I was 12 years old to do, you know, to be in sports, to be in broadcasting, to do all that stuff. And it was all I ever wanted. And I was in a job that made me so incredibly unhappy. And by the end, it wasn't just, oh, you know what? I think I need to leave this job. My body shut down. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was throwing up. I was, I was a mess. My body said, if you're not going to leave this, I'm going to show you that you have to. You don't have a choice. And it was this rock bottom. And I was like, I can't live like this anymore. And I think that that's when I, you know, it took a while even to get there. You know, it's been a little bit since that happened. And at first I was like, oh, I just need to be able to get through a day. But now I'm like, there's, I don't want to get back into the career, into the big stuff until I feel like I'm ready and that I can face these new challenges as a different and more grounded person. And I think that I, you know, see you doing that on a daily basis. And like, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, like I saw you doing that in sports when I first, you know, looked up to you. And like, it's something that I see how much it's helped you and I see how much it's changed you and how much it's changed for so many people. And I think I just knew that I needed it for myself. It seems like we get to that point because you know, I had the Mm -hmm. exact same experience. My body shut down. It was like, what are we doing? We're not doing this anymore. Stop. But we have this this moment where we don't feel safe anymore and we haven't been protecting ourselves and we haven't been advocating for ourselves. And we're like on this hamster wheel of just doing things for other people. Totally. And we'll get into this, but you have pretty severe anxiety that you've been Mm -hmm. dealing with. And so that was exacerbated living this life that just didn't feel aligned for you. And I feel like sometimes it does need to come crashing down in that way for us to really understand but it's like you said, this didn't happen overnight. This was a slow build. Mm-hmm. What were some of the signs or the red flags that you feel like you were ignoring leading up to this that maybe people listening could pinpoint like, oh, that happened for me. Maybe I should pay a little closer attention. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good point. I mean, just to hop off of what you just said in the sense of like, I don't think I would be in this growth phase right now if I stayed on that hamster wheel. I I totally now at this point, slightly removed, recognize that crashing is what is leading to this growth. I would not have been able to do it without it. I would say one of the biggest things was just having a dream. And it's not to say that you know people shouldn't have a dream, but having a dream and not seeing any other possible slight you know, road turns or slight changes from it. I was so steadfast on this is what I have to do. And going off of that, there's more than one way to reach a dream and there's more than one way to reach a happy life. And I was in a job that I was like, nope, this is how I get to where I am. And there was no saying that if I stayed at that job that I would have gotten to where I was. There's absolutely no saying that. And, But I said to myself, I have to stay here. I don't have a choice, even though I 
was getting treated so poorly. I was working 70 plus hours a week. I was doing all these things that were so bad. I would say another thing is the lack of self-care. I think that I let work and who I was supposed to be prioritized instead of doing simple things for myself. And I, you know, I wasn't able to work out. I wasn't journaling. I wasn't, you know, meditating. And not to say that right now, I'm a master meditator. I can maybe meditate for five minutes at a time, but it's growth. It's and, amazing. And it's it, there the self-care thing was a huge piece. And then also just one of the biggest things for me was comparing myself to people on a similar path. I think when I had that dream and I had that goal, when people were like, oh, don't you hate working weekends and hate all this stuff? And I was like, no, because this is my goal. I'm doing my thing. Everyone else can do their thing. This is mine. But then when I started to have doubts in that job, I would look at the other, at my peers at my job and be like, well, they're fine. They seem to be fine here and not panicking and not having to leave and go to the bathroom every 10 minutes to cry and freak out. What are they doing that I'm not? And I think that hurt me so much because it caused so much shame within me of someone else is doing this and I'm not. And I have no idea what their background is. I don't know what they go home and do at night. I don't know any of that stuff. And at the, re- the reality is at the end of the day, this is just a lifestyle that they could handle and that I couldn't. And I think, yeah, again, the biggest things were just comparisons. We're ignoring the self-care and we're just not being able to let go of something I was holding on to since I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the important language to pick up on there too is that it's not that you couldn't handle it. Yeah. You could. Yeah. You choose not to. Totally. And that was a huge thing because, you know, when I w- would talk to my therapist about it or my mom about it or anything like that, I did my job successfully till the day I left. I, you know, my work was always great. I never once missed an assignment, missed anything. I was there and did my job. I, like you said, I chose that this was not healthy for me. So you're totally right. Mm -hmm. Well, when you look at comparison, because I experienced that a lot too. I even look back at some of my dearest friends who, I mean, Ashley Brewer at ABC and Alex Mm -hmm. Curry uh, at Fox, like killing the game. Totally. And I look at that and I'm like, damn, why couldn't I hack it? Yeah. And then I'm like, no, like same thing. I don't know what they're going through. They could love their job. They could hate their job. I I don't know. They both seem happy. And what I understand, they are happy. Totally. But it's the same thing of like, I'm a year and a half out of that world. And I I look back and I'm like, wow, they're growing. They're getting these big jobs. What could have been? And then I remember why I chose to leave and how happy and fulfilled I am. And it's not about comparing, Mm -hmm. but I think that's so hard. And that comparison shows up in so many ways of our lives. It shows up in body image. It shows up in career success. Mm -hmm. It shows up in groundedness Mm -hmm. and peace of mind and things you have. So where else do you feel like this pops up for you and is sort of manifesting of where you're looking at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm not good enough or I should be this or, you know, that spiral. I would say that, you know, work is the biggest thing for me. To me, it just, you know, I'm doing part-time things and I've, you know, gotten myself way, way, way better than I was where I first left. But I still, I get scared when I go to the grocery store because I'm scared I'm going to have to run into somebody and tell them what's going on. And I don't know if you experienced this, but like, because you and I both had that dream since we were so young, people, you know, I'm much more open about it now than I was at first. I'd just be like, oh, work is hard, but it's fine. And I was totally lying. And now I say, you know what? I left my job because it wasn't right for me and whatever. But 
you know, people say to me, oh my God, but this was your dream. You were so good at it, blah, blah, blah. And I think like that's by far one of the hardest things. And it's like remembering what we just talked about, which is that your dream can change. Your dream can be different. I totally forgot the question. (laughs) No, just comparison and how it shows up in every area of your life. Totally. Body shame, huge, especially in Los Angeles. It's really, really hard. And I think it's, you know, it's a constant battle of not only looking at yourself in the mirror, but looking at other people and she has this or she doesn't have this. And that's really hard. I would say one of the biggest things is relationships. I'm in a relationship right now that I love and I'm so happy in, but social media is such a nightmare in the sense that you get so caught up in, oh, they did this thing or, you know, that was like so much more loving than I was the other day and whatever. And that's so hard to compare to because I think what I've had to realize is that my relationship is my own and it's not other people's and other people are going to have different growth and different progress on their relationships than I am. Again, the job thing, I think what I've noticed honestly by being more open with people is that there are so many more people out there struggling than are happy and they just were too caught up in being perfect and giving out this perfect outlook that we're too scared to say it. When did the perfectionist mentality begin for you? Since I can remember. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I remember in fifth grade, they would do those like math charts and it would be like either 30 subtraction or 30 addition problems and you had a minute to fill it out. And if I didn't get to the end, I cried. And it wasn't, oh, Tommy next to me finished and that was what was bad. It was myself. It was, that wasn't good enough for me. I was a gymnast for so many years of my life and, you know, literally you strive for a perfect 10. And it it literally sets up that perfection for you. And I mean, not achieving that and having off days in practice and stuff like that was so, so, so hard. I mean, yeah, I can seriously remember it since I was a kid, even with like school, I was such a worrier with studying to the point where like my parents would come in my room at night and be like, stop studying. Like enough. Like, you know everything, you know, you know everything. And I would still walk into the test next day and be like, I'm going to forget everything. I don't know enough. I didn't study enough. So it's it's truly been there my whole life. And it's kind of that idea that we talked about with this quote of just control. I just feel like perfection equaled control for me. If I thought that I did absolutely everything in every scenario, then I had control over the outcome, even though I had no idea what was going to be on the test. I had no idea any of those things. And I still don't know those things today. And I'm still grappling with perfection and trying to lead this quote perfect life instead of just, you know, letting go and letting it happen. It's, you know, a lot of people say they're like go with the flow and fly by the seat of their pants. And I like the concept of that gives me anxiety. It's mm-hmm. like I I wish I could just let go and let life happen and just watch it happen and equal with it. But that's, you know, that's part of my growth and that's part of what I'm working on. When you feel out of control, what does that look like for you? I think to me, which is hard, I feel like out of control means being present. I struggle with that so much. I feel like my mind is constantly running and it's not even running always with negative things. It's even just like, oh, I forgot to do this last week or I need to get this from the grocery store. I forgot to tell this to this person, you know, all those kinds of things. And I feel like unless my mind is in some kind of future or recalling some kind of past that I need to fix and do better, 
I'm in the present and the present feels like that's out of control. I can't just let what's happening right now happen. I can't just be in this workout class and do the sun salutation and whatever, let it happen because there's something else I need to be thinking about. And to be out of control to me just feels like like I'm missing something. Like there's something that I need to be doing at this time that I'm not letting happen by just letting go. And that's hard. Because if you let go, what does that mean? That I'm imperfect, probably. Which means what? I feel like I'm not catching what you're throwing. No. Um, so we've done this before with yes. other things, right? So you feel out of control, yeah. which makes you feel imperfect, mm-hmm. which means what? What does imperfect mean to you or what does that bring up for you? I Why is that a bad thing? Imperfect to me means not being good enough, not living the life I was supposed to lead, whatever that means. It means, you know, letting life just happen, which I think to me is such a foreign concept and seems so scary. Because if you let life happen, Mm -hmm. what would happen? I feel like what you're trying to get at is that I would be okay. I'm not trying to get at it. (laughs) I'm asking what's going on in your head. There's no right or wrong answer here. Um, but this is how we get to the yeah. like core wound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned good enough. Yeah. I'm wondering where that goes. I think I have this fear in the back of my mind that if I don't try and control every... How I see it are like boxes in my life. So one box is like job, one box is friends, one box is family, relationship. If I let go of control of any of those boxes oh my goodness, I could end up at 35 and not be married. Oh my God, I could be at 35 and not have the best career and love going to work every day. Like I literally, it's funny because when I talk to my friends and they bring up perfectionistic type things and they talk about all that stuff, I'm like, you know what? You're doing great. Like you're doing fine. Like your life is so great and you're learning from your mistakes and all this stuff. But then when it happens to me, I'm like, no, 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 that's not an option. Like I, it it would be awful to be 35 and not be married. And it's so weird because it's like, I don't know where I got these numbers from. And it's not like I have written in some childhood diary, married, 27, kids, 32, like anything like that. It's just this fear of there being a bump in the road. I'm trying to do whatever I can to literally pave the road as it's happening so quickly before I get to that spot in the road. Right. Because what does it mean (laughs) if you are not married with kids by 35. What does that say about you? What is your initial like, that would mean? I did life wrong. I messed up. I screwed up. Which means I'm not lovable. Yeah. No one chose me. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. Yeah, I, I stayed in a bad situation for too long. I didn't figure myself out. I didn't take enough risks. I didn't, all those things. It just are all these limiting beliefs that I, about myself. Mm -hmm. So something that, I mean, we've talked about this, we've never done this part before, but this is where the gray area comes into play, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm learning is control is an illusion. Mm -hmm. We never actually have control. We can do so many things and take so many steps, but after that, like it's out there. Right. (laughs) The universe is like, this is how it's going to go. <laughs> Surrender, which is super painful for people like this, us who are 
recovering type A control freaks and perfectionists. So the gray area is very uncomfortable. And when you have the monkey mind, which is Mm -hmm. what you were just describing, where you can't, you have not been able to even get to that core issue because you're too busy coming up with scenarios and reasons and excuses and protection, which I get. Like that's where I've been for years. Yeah. And that's where you're getting in your journaling is you're getting closer to that root cause and you're letting go of the noise and you're getting, you're, you're leaving the black and white and stepping into the gray area, which means there's possibility, which means there's risk and discomfort. So when you think of yourself and not having control and being a little more free mm-hmm. and being in the gray area, how do you view that girl? To me, I feel like I view that girl as someone who's flying by the seat of her pants and has no idea what's going on. You know, like you said, the gray area is so scary for me. It's like it has to be black or it has to be white. And I want to be that girl, but I think I've also judged that girl for most of my life. You know, I think that there, when I look back on times where, like, you know, a family friend's kid had to drop out of school because, you know, whatever happened, and I'm like, ugh that's rough, sucks for them, like whatever. And now I look at that after what I've gone through and I'm like, oh my God, that was probably really hard. And whatever that person was going through was really tough. And I have so much more perspective now on just how difficult things are and just how much harder it is, like we talked about, to get off the hamster wheel and say, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And I think I've judged that person for so long. Judged the person who, eh, I'll figure it out. I'll do whatever. I'm like, what? No, you need to know. Why don't you know? Why haven't you figured it out? And that's where I am now. And I'm kind of this like angel and devil on the shoulder thing of like one side of me is like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do self-care and we're going to do all these things and it's going to be great. And there's another side of me that's like, this is all BS. What are you wasting your time for? Come back to the monkey mind thought cycle where you belong, where you've been for 24 years. So it's really funny because the reason you're attracted to me is because I am that person. Right. So you're fine with me being that person. And you think that I am all the lovely (laughs) and wonderful things. Yeah. Yet when you put yourself in that scenario of being just like that, it's like judgment. Yep. And that's hard. And I too have done that with myself and I do that all the time still. It's it's this back and forth of being pulled between this old life and this new life mm-hmm. and the versions of us and letting go of what no longer serves us. And this old version of me is like, who the fuck do you think you are, lady? That's who we judged. Yep. Like you're becoming her. Mm-hmm. I had my solo episode that came out this mm-hmm. week and I said that I, I became Phoebe on Friends. Like yeah. I am Phoebe. <laughs> Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> but I judged Phoebe and I thought she totally. was a fucking nut job. And now Absolutely. I'm like, oh my God, I totally talk to dead people too. It's fine. So this is where we have to pay attention. Right. The things we judge and the things that make us the most uncomfortable, we get to work on why that triggers us to judge it. Yeah. And the reason you judge it is because you want it so badly. And you like me and you want to be around me and listen to my Mm -hmm. show and all of that Mm -hmm. because you see yourself in me. You know that you have that ability. Yep. But taking that step to go there is the hardest part. 
Totally. So how do you, on a daily basis, work your way out of what no longer serves you in allowing yourself to be a little more wild and free? It's really hard. I am by far taking much more baby steps <laughs> than you are. Okay. Um, but one of them, like we talked about, was starting to journal and just when my monkey mind gets me, instead of just sitting in it and let it attack me and tell me I'm the worst human in the world, writing it down on paper feels like I'm literally like, okay, this is separate from me. I'm looking at it and it's separate. And that's what that was. Another thing um, is meditation. And like, I am not good at it, especially for someone with monkey mind. It's really hard to sit there and be like, wait, okay, so why haven't I stopped thinking? It's bad that I'm not stopping thinking and all that kind of stuff. But I've gone from just at first setting a one minute timer and just being like, okay, for one minute, I'm just going to breathe. And the first time it felt super long, then five times later, it was like, okay, I'm going to go to two minutes and just increasing and finding the things that work for you. You know, you give so many suggestions on your show of different types of ways to do things and some work great and some, you know, don't for other people. I think another thing is just as much as humanly possible, letting go of shame. And I think I put shame on so many things. If I get tired in the middle of the day, because let's face it, anxiety is really exhausting. And I don't think I, I don't think I gave anxiety as much validity as it deserves. I think if someone said to me, I have diabetes, I have whatever, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like that's that's really serious. But anxiety is really serious too. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of mind power. And then you know, going off of that, if it's the middle of the day and I'm exhausted, I would feel such shame for taking a 20 minute nap because the middle of the freaking day, get through your day, at least get to the end of the day, come on. But now I'm like, you know what? My body's asking me for this and that's what I'm going to do. And I've also just been a lot better at taking time for myself. I think that I used to be really, really scared to be alone. There are still times where I am scared to be alone. But my body now, I feel like there's times when it tells me, hey, you don't need to be in a social setting trying to be anything for anyone right now. Let's go in your room, watch Netflix, turn on a candle and just like chill. And I feel myself calming down. I feel like I've just become a lot more in tune with my body and what it needs, which is huge because I just, I literally wasn't listening to it at all, at all before. And I think another thing that's been really helpful has just been trying to be as present as possible. Because I mentioned the idea of just always being in the future, always being in the past. And so I've taken really small steps into doing that. So one thing that someone told me to do, which I found so profound, which is hilarious, is to take like a shower where you use your senses. I think everyone just like thinks in the shower and it's like, okay, what do I have to do later? What do I, this, 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 and this. And now when I take a shower, I'm like, okay, here's 10 minutes for myself. So I get in, I feel the water running on me. I smell the shampoo. I smell the whatever and like showers now feel like 45 minutes because I've just never been so present for seven minutes. But that has helped me so much and it helps me see how much time I'm wasting in so many other places, most of which have not even happened yet and probably won't happen. And it's huge. That's so good. That's so, so good. I love that so much. The call that we had last week, which is when I realized we needed to do this, we talked about sex. Yeah. Everything related to sex. <laughs> because you messaged me after I had talked about the fact that only 18% of women mm-hmm. can 
have an orgasm from penetrative sex. And you messaged me and you said, hey, I've only ever told my boyfriend this, but I've never had an orgasm ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. One, thank you for being honest. Mm -hmm. Two, we're going to get on the phone and we're going to talk about this (laughs) Um, because I would like for you to experience that. So we had about an hour call a week or so ago and we talked through what you were experiencing. And I want to get into that a little bit because you are definitely not the only person that is going through that. Yeah. And um, I think that this speaks so much to the body image issues and the shame and the pressure and the monkey mind. And yes. we've all been there. I mean, even last week I was having sex with Connor and my clit felt numb. And I was just like, I can't come. I was just like in my head. I'm mm-hmm. like, it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't allowing pleasure because I was just so focused on all these other things. And I couldn't relax. So will you give everyone a glimpse into what your sex life has looked like, your Mm -hmm. relationship with your body, Mm -hmm. and where you feel like you are in terms of not having allowed yourself to let go to experience that pleasure? Totally. First of all, I have to thank you because I never would have been open about that with anyone if I didn't see someone saying, hey, this is okay to talk about. And like, it's still not something I've told many people besides you and my boyfriend, but it's still, I never thought that it was okay to talk about. And I assumed that I was one of the only people going through it and that I was broken. Something was wrong with me, which is a lot of what happens with my anxiety is things out of my control happen and I somehow find a way to blame myself. So for me, I have had multiple relationships in my life. For me, I was never really a hookup girl. I felt more comfortable making out with, having sex with people I knew and felt really comfortable with, which I'm assuming that in and of itself came from body shame and shame and stuff like that, which, you know, the idea of the control and the letting go during sex, I had no idea could be related to anxiety, could be related to control. But when I talked to you about that, I was like, oh my God, that makes total sense. But anyways, um, I have always had partners who thankfully were so patient and so willing and weren't just like, okay, I tried for five minutes. This isn't happening. Screw you. They really were like, I want this for you. I want this to happen for you. And I think that was so much in my head the whole time of like, okay, both of us want this to happen. It just needs to happen. Just let go. Just let go. But me being in my head and telling myself that wasn't. And so what I described to you was that for me, it always felt like there was a definite buildup. There wasn't pain with sex. There wasn't you know, a lack of desire. And there was definitely a buildup, but I feel like where the climax should have come, it just dissipated. I would like get to the top of the roller coaster and then just never go down the hill. I just sat there and I was like, okay, at this point, it is what it is. And it's really hard. It's hard one for me because I want that for myself. And it's also hard for the partners that I've had because they they want it too. And it's probably understandably frustrating for them when they want to do all that they can and it's not their fault, you know? So it's definitely been a struggle. And the other thing that we, you know, talked about was how you were saying how I feel comfortable in my body and about masturbation and stuff like that. And like, honestly, up until probably a year or two ago, it, it was something I never thought about. I never like shamed men or women for masturbating. I think it's healthy. I think it's totally normal. For me, it was just like, oh, that's just, that's not something I do. Like it just, it felt weird. And I think, 
what we talked about is that for me, it just felt like I never felt like sexy or whatever on my own. For me, all of my desire and my, you know, wanting to be intimate with someone came from being with someone else and wanting to be intimate with them. I like was never turned on by myself. And when I would like go to touch myself, I was like, this is weird. Like there's no one helping this happen. I don't know what to think about. I feel awkward touching myself. It was just really strange. And again, what I discovered from that conversation with you is that that came from body shame and from just shame within myself and feeling weird about myself that I didn't even know that was part of that. And I think that even since just talking to you, I've been working on that and just trying to love myself and feel good about myself and enjoy what I see in the mirror and enjoy what I see. And I think one of the saddest things for me is that, you know, my current boyfriend constantly tells me about how he's so attracted to me and how he loves me. And I don't think he's bullshitting me. I think he means it. And it's so hard to have someone so clearly see that about you and not be able to see what they see yourself. And I think that's been probably the biggest struggle for me within it is like, how do you see that so clearly? And I don't. Thank you for being so honest. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I said this on an episode once. I said, if I don't even want to fuck me, why is Connor going to want to fuck me? Yep. (laughs) And it's true. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't feeling sexy. And having chronic illness for so long, I was in the same boat as you. I never felt good about my body. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel safe in my body because it felt like it was under attack. I felt constantly sick. And I would walk around like oversized sweats. And I just felt like gross. Mm -hmm. So if I don't want to be with me and be intimate with me and like Mm -hmm. myself, why in turn is my partner going to want that? Or why would they be attracted to me? Totally. And we talked a lot about you spending time with yourself Mm -hmm. and getting to know your own body and connecting back to that womb space and your pussy and breathing and making decisions from that place. Yeah. And I'm curious if you have attempted that at all and what that looks like in the connection. Yes. So the first thing that you told me to do, which I did, was to kind of like meditate about it and to just like try and merge those two places between mind and... I can't say that word. I believe in you. Do it. Do it. And my pussy. Oh my God. It's so weird. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She did it. She did it. It's okay. I felt the same way. I still feel weird. Don't get me wrong. Oh my God. For the first time I said, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm like, whatever. Feels weird. Anyways. Anyways. But it's so true because... Like I said, when you told me about that, I just like, whenever I was in a in a sexual state and, you know, doing things with my partner, it was always about thinking. It was, it was never, let me just like enjoy this and be in this and like feel from that place. It was always, okay, when when I did that, did I do that right? What what is he looking at? What is he thinking? What is he whatever? Even though I knew he wasn't judging anything. So I tried to just think about literally, I like tried to visualize like a flow of light between those two places. And I think it like, it felt cool. It felt like I like was actually like seeing that and connecting it, which felt awesome. And like, I, for the first time, like did what you said in terms of like touching myself in the shower and in the bath. And like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I first did it, I was like, okay, this feels real weird. And I don't like this. But I started to just feel like, 
honestly, what I said to myself was think about myself the way my boyfriend thinks about myself and see myself the way he sees me. And it became easier. And you also were talking about how it's just like thinking of things that seem out of control, you know, fantasies you've never thought about, like things that you've just never brought into this thing because they're too out there and they're too crazy. And when I started to do that, I wasn't thinking about, ooh, you're weird, Lauren. I was thinking about those things. And then it made it so much easier. And haven't seen my boyfriend in a while, but I'm hoping that when I see him, that it'll help a ton. And I think the other thing that's been really great, because in my last relationship before this one, he obviously knew that I wasn't able to orgasm, but I was never fully honest about this stuff. And I was never open about this stuff. We were very sexual with each other, but I was never like, this bothers me. I'm struggling with this, whatever. And after I had that phone call with you, I reached out to my boyfriend. I was like, look, like, here are these things that she told us. Here are things we can do together, whatever. And he was like, let's do it. Like, yeah, I'm into it. I'm down. Like, I want this for you. We want this for each other. And like, that also helps a ton. Similar in a way that like, for me, when I left my job, I found so much solace in knowing that you had done it and you had succeeded and you were on the other side of it. I was like, there's someone here on my team. There's someone here who knows what's going on and wants that for me too. And that obviously makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, you don't need to detail your fantasies for me. What was, <laughs> is there anything that came up that like felt really good for you or that maybe you were surprised by that really turned you on that allowed you to see yourself more as this free, wild, sexual woman? Hmm. That's super interesting. I think, I think the mindset change itself was huge. Just seeing myself the way that other people saw me really helped me to be like, okay, like, yeah, this part of me is attractive and this part I didn't think was pretty is and it's more to grab onto and it's all those kinds of things. And I think just like, I think I never knew what you were supposed to think about while you were masturbating. So I was literally sitting there touching myself and just like staring at the ceiling and I'm like, why doesn't this feel good? Well, because I'm literally not thinking about anything and that's not going to help anything. But just thinking about things that I said to myself in the past were too taboo. So, you know, really hot experiences that I'd had with my boyfriend or things that I'd seen in movies or TV shows that I was like, that was freaking cool. And like thinking about that and just putting myself in those people's shoes again, like the biggest thing for me with everything, not just with the sexual stuff was getting out of my head. And once I left my thoughts behind and brought something else in, it made it much easier. Mm, I love that. Well, and we talked a lot too, and this is the controlling part. Yes. So you talked about, I, I said to you, do you talk during sex? Are you verbal? Do you make noise? And you were like, yes, I can't shut up. And I was like, <laughs> oh, now I get it. So I, and I said this to you, I would not normally say this to someone, but right. I told you to stop. I yeah. told you to be quiet, Yeah. which I'm working on like being louder and more. And you are in charge and dictating Every single move he makes, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't need your help, <laughs> which is what you said. You were like, he's amazing at it. It feels so good. It's me in my own head. And totally. so to me, that made me think, okay, you're still in that controlling masculine energy. Yep. How are you ever supposed to be in that sexy feminine release? And so I told you to not talk. And I know you haven't seen him recently. Yeah. But I, I think that's an important conversation to have because we do have so many girls that listen to this show that are very mm -hmm. controlling and mm -hmm. very um, want to be in charge and want to say all these things. And it's like sometimes 
the best thing you can do is not talk. And I think it stemmed from, which I realized when talking to you, from trying to control my experience. So me, and it's not like I was like telling him what to do. It was just that I was literally constantly saying something like, oh, that feels so good. That feels so good. That feels so good. It's like, I feel like because I was saying that in my head, I'm like, okay, brain, like it's feeling good. It's time. Let's do this. Like, let's make it happen. And I just like, it's not that I was saying that and I was lying. It was just that I was literally trying to control how my brain felt and not realizing that how my brain felt doesn't matter. It's how everything else feels and getting out of my brain. And I just didn't realize that. Yeah. And we talked too, instead of you talking, still moan and like do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You said you do that, which I think is super important for yourself. More importantly, a lot of the, the teachers I work with now talk about the moaning and the noise that comes from you actually creates vibration and energy in your body, which leads to more ecstasy and orgasm, which... I'm here for that. Um, But I I told you to just focus on your breathing from your pussy while it's all happening, whether you're masturbating or with him. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to, while you're with yourself, focus on that in and out breath? And has that played a role at all? I know. But I think that that's because I'm trying so much to just flood my brain with other things. And I think that that was getting out of my own way. But I think that you're right in the sense that I'm like, it's almost, it almost feels like I'm trying to control my breathing. And I'm like, okay, if I shorten my breath, then it's going to be like, I I literally think I have so much control that I don't. But I think that that is something that obviously with more time, because I literally was spending no time doing this, I will, you know, will add, and I think it'll help just like, because, you know, obviously there are signs that says taking a deep breath calms your body. And I think that along with the lack of thoughts will totally help. And I think Something else that was like really cool, which again, like I told you, I never used to talk about these things. And I did it a couple of nights ago and I, my boyfriend's on the East Coast right now. So he was asleep, but I texted him and I was like, I masturbated to the thought of this and it felt really good, whatever. And I sent it and I was like, oh no, that was scary. That was weird. He's going to wake up and think I'm a freak. And he was like, I'm so proud of you. Good for you. This is awesome. And I was like, who am I? And it's like those moments where I'm like, who am I? That I'm like, okay, dude, like, yeah, you're becoming a different person. You're growing and like freaking cool. Who cares what other people are doing? You're growing and you feel good. And that's awesome. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. Have we gotten a toy yet? (laughs) I have one. Okay. Had one, which I literally never used because I was just like, I don't, it feels weird. And like, I literally also will say that I was so embarrassed about it that I made a friend who lived on her own buy it for me and Venmoed her because I was too ashamed to buy one, which was a whole other, you know, side of the whole coin. But even just since talking to you, I've used it more and I've like talked with him about it and like, we should learn about these things. We should try these things. And again, like I said, it's been so helpful. And I know this isn't everyone's story, but it's been so helpful to have someone who is so on board and is so supportive about it to make it easier. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think taking orgasm off the table as yes. this thing you must achieve mm-hmm. is so important for people like us. Yes. It's just about experiencing pleasure and we can experience pleasure in the entire experience, mm-hmm. not just this achievement of ecstasy at the end because that's where we fucking talk ourselves out of it. Yep. And it becomes like a, a test we have to take. Yeah, exactly. It's too much pressure. Yeah, it's it's putting pressure on myself and it's interesting what you're saying about the pleasure about the whole experience is that I talk to him all about about this all the time too in the sense of like, 
I so much more enjoy like the foreplay part of it too. Just like kissing him and touching him and being near him. And like that so much, even there was nights when we just do that, feels so good. And it's like, that's because in those moments, I'm not worried about having an orgasm because I know I'm not going to have one for making out with him. And I'm just thinking about making out with him. Yet. I'm just kidding. I know. Wouldn't but that be awesome if we could all just orgasm for making out? Oh, it would make my life I feel a like lot people easier. probably do. People that are super in touch with their bodies. Yeah. When I find that unicorn, I will let you know her secrets. You let me know. <laughs> I just, yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me is just leaving the place of feeling like I'm broken mm-hmm. because I think that that is what is inhibiting me so much. And I'm like, this is just something that's not going to happen for me. And I'll make it as good as possible. But I've tried, I've given up. It's like, there's always, like I found out from you, something more I could be doing. And I think, like I said, it just comes from more people being open and talking about it because, you know, I talk about it with my boyfriend, but, you know, he doesn't know a ton about it. And it's like, if there aren't people like you opening up these conversations, who am I? I would have stayed like this the rest of my life. Who was I supposed to go to? Who was I supposed to know? Because I was too ashamed and too afraid to say these things out loud, you know? Same. That's why I listen to podcasts like Sex with Emily mm-hmm. and Shameless Sex. And mm-hmm. those women give me permission to do this and now be on the other side to also help teach. And I'm learning so much. And I love that. It's truly yeah. about permission. When did you feel you didn't deserve to experience pleasure and ecstasy in your life? Hmm. Great question. <laughs> I think it honestly all stemmed from an expectation, from a perfection standpoint. So to me, okay, this is how intimacy works. When I had my first boyfriend in high school and we did all the first things together, I was like, okay, everyone else says that like when you do this, this is supposed to happen. So I already had that pressure on myself to make those things happen before they even happened. So I think that when I quote failed at that and that didn't happen for me like it had for all the other girls I talked to, okay, then I guess it's just not for me. I guess that's not going to happen for me because this is what's supposed to happen. Didn't happen to me equals I'm broken. And I think it honestly happened from the beginning of my sexual experiences because I thought I had the aim so high and the expectation so high instead of the just being in it. And the second that something didn't feel the way that I thought it was supposed to, I blamed myself. What came to me right now is that you set your expectations so high that you just set yourself up for failure every time. Absolutely. And I think that's... During growth, I think that's the hardest thing. With my anxiety with anything, it's the knowing that there is the angel on my shoulder that's like, we can do this. Let's do this. Let's get better. And then also knowing that it's also me that's keeping myself from that is like one of the hardest things to know. To know I want to be more present, to be more there, to get better. But then knowing that it's my brain, even if it's not the brain I want to operate out of, but it's my brain that's keeping me from those things is one of, for me, the most heartbreaking things. And I know that one day I'll get to that other place, but it's just such a mindfuck to feel like there's part of you that wants this, but there's just the same person that's fighting it. And it's like you're rock'em, sock'em, roboting with your own brain, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's again, going back to that gray area mm-hmm. and getting comfortable and not always having the answer. That's something I'm learning is like, I have always found a way to have the answer and be in control. 
And then sitting in a place where I don't necessarily know what to do and allowing that to be okay. Totally. And it doesn't mean I failed. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. It doesn't mean that I need to feel bad about myself. Yeah. Just right now, I don't have the answer and that's okay. Yeah. And I was talking to you before about those different boxes in my life. And I feel like because how I see it or how my shame sees it is you lost control of the job box. You lost control of it. So now I feel like I put even more pressure on myself in those other boxes of friends, family, relationship, all those things of, okay, really, really, really make sure you're doing the right thing every second of every day because you can't let that box get out of control too. How awful would that be? How terrible of a person would you be if you let yet another thing fail? Mm. And I think that that's what sits in my head so much is don't fail, don't fail. And that's what's keeping me from being present in those situations, you know? I think too, it's about learning to take your power back. Mm -hmm. And I gave my power away a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I felt like people were doing things to me and almost in that victim state. Yeah. And learning to take the power back and take responsibility for our role in things and that things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And for the most part, we're creating a lot of the circumstances that we're in. Yeah. And when you change your your wording around that and own stuff, it's amazing what can happen. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it's it's just the thoughts that, you know, perpetuate in your head. I was reading this book and it was saying how how the thoughts, you your thoughts, the more you have them, the more power you give them if you don't, you know, push them away and dismiss them. So the book, the woman was saying, like, okay, for 15 seconds, close your eyes and think to yourself, I'm a penguin. And so I did that and I was like, okay, this is dumb. Why did I do that? And she's like, okay, you don't feel anything. You don't feel any different, right? Because no part of you believes you're going to become a penguin. No part of you is worried about this. Now think a limiting belief about yourself for 15 seconds and see what happens. And so I thought to myself, I am shameful. I'm not good enough. And I literally felt my chest concave. I felt myself physically change. And she was like, okay, that's a thought that's probably been bouncing around your head for a really long time. But the more you thought of it, the more power you've given it. And that's like, I feel like I've just been so powerless to my thoughts and at so many times powerless to my anxiety. Right up until I left my job, I felt so out of control. I had no idea when I was going to have a panic attack. I had no idea when anything was going to happen. I just felt out of control. But again, like I said, it wasn't until I let my body say, look, this is what you need that I figured it out. So like you said which is the scariest thing for the perfectionists and the control freaks. Sometimes when you are out of control, you learn what you really need. Mm-hmm. You texted me last weekend and you, you said, I had one of the best mornings ever. Like I, was, I started the day in such a good space mentally. And then all of a sudden, it turned into a really bad day. And you wanted to know about not letting that get you down. So what did that feel like for you? So I think, yeah, one of the hardest things is just controlling the brain. And I know that everyone says you have good days and bad days, but this felt like a super good morning. And an hour later with nothing happening, my mindset totally shifted. So I started that day and I said to myself, I applied to jobs today that I felt really good about. I meditated, I journaled, I did all these things. Look at me, I'm powerful. I did all these things. And then all of this sudden, with literally no event occurring, my mind said, your journaling's BS. What you're trying to make of your life is BS. This is how you've been for 24 years. How do you think you're going to change any of this? All of that stuff. And 
I felt the physical difference in my body. It was like, there's times when I have, you know, mind spinning cycles and I'm like, okay, you know what? My mind's spinning. I do something else for 15 minutes and it kind of fades. This was just like, it physically took over me. I was just in a dark place and it felt so heavy. And I think the scariest part for me was that it wasn't like one day and the next day, it was within hours. And the other thing, you know, for someone who struggles with anxiety, one of my biggest things about anxiety is that it's the hardest for me when I get a panic attack out of complete nowhere. Because then I can't be like, okay, this is because of A, B, and C. It's putting control on it. It's saying, here's what happened. I know why this happened. Okay, it's fine. But when it comes out of nowhere, my initial thought is, what's wrong with me? What went wrong? I was doing everything right. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. What happened? And so it just felt, to be honest, like a lack of control. Like I was doing all of these things. Then this thought hit me and there was nothing in that moment that I was able to do for myself to get out of it. And I think the reason I initially reached out to you was because I was like, which happens to me all the time. I was like, I have to be the only one this has ever happened to. How, what is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? And hearing you say, hell yeah, it happens to me all the time. I was like, there's just something within anxiety that makes you feel like you're constantly alone. Like your problem, you're the only one that has it. You're a medical anomaly. Something is inherently wrong with you. And it it just felt so debilitating. Well, I responded and I also told you about this book called The Voice of Knowledge. Yes. And I recommend it for everyone. It's a really fast, simple read, but it's so powerful. And um, I haven't even finished it yet and I'm obsessed with it. But it's the idea of the ego and mm-hmm. the lies and this demonic voice that is in our heads. Yep. And unfortunately... It's pretty much always there. It's just about how we find a way to navigate it and Mm -hmm. to let it go. And that's why meditation is so powerful because you let your thoughts and your ego go and then you're just in a state of of peace. Mm -hmm. And we find a way to self-sabotage, which I think is part of it. But we also find a way to allow ourselves to believe the lies that we're being told by our own ego. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go from, I feel so good. And then it's like just one tiny thing creeps in and then it takes over. Yep. And I have that happen like regularly. So does Connor. I mean, I don't know one person that this isn't like prevalent for. Totally. So if anyone listening feels this, totally get it. It's about detaching from the lies and knowing that that's not your own truth mm-hmm. and letting it flow through you. Connor does this really cool thing. I can't, he told me this the other day and I was like, this is amazing. He like sees the thoughts mm-hmm. as like a line of words, like typed out words. And then he sees them like leave, like up into awesome. the clouds. And I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> also and helps to visualize. It does. So I think that's one thing. And it's also knowing that it's okay to not feel great. It's okay to start good and then kind of fall into a trap again. Because as you're working through two versions of you, Mm -hmm. there's going to be this ego that is trying to bring you back and this darkness that you know that's comfortable. And then the light that's like, no, it's okay. It's safe here. Mm -hmm. Because you have not felt safe in the light. Yeah, You have only felt safe in darkness. And it's what you know, right? 
So the more light you bring in, the darkness is like, oh, fuck you. That's no, we're not going right. there. That's not where we are. That's not where we deserve to be. Mm-hmm. That's not for us. Mm-hmm. And it's not about convincing. It's not about like, no, we are going to the light and like controlling mm-hmm. that. It's just allowing. Both things are going to be there and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And not putting pressure on yourself. Yeah. And I think it's it's so interesting because again, we feel very similar in that like, I think we're both very smart people. And there are times when I when I journal something that I do sometimes when I just feel like I'm in that kind of web of lies that you're talking about, I'll write down on one side of the paper like those thoughts that I'm having. And then on the other side, I try to think of the truth of it or what a, a friend would say to me, what the kinder version of me would say to myself. And as someone who I feel like I'm smart, there are some times when I look at a negative thought about myself and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the antonym for this. I literally don't. And I sit there and I'm like, how is it so hard to just think what the kind me would say to myself? And sometimes it just feels so tough. And it's like you said, it's knowing that that's okay. And there's days it's going to be easier than others. And not, I think what I'm working on, which is what we're talking about, is not letting those days or those moments or those minutes of down dictate my whole week, my whole day, my whole whatever, because it, you know, it is an up and downhill battle. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have any questions? Has anything come up for you? Oh my goodness. I think we've covered a lot. I think one of the biggest things that I have, which I think we may have talked about in the, in the past, but as you're healing, you're dealing with your perfectionism, you're dealing with your you know anxieties and all that kind of stuff. How if you're you know you're super lucky in the sense that you have Connor who's super good about this and understanding about this and he like literally does it for a living. But you know with my boyfriend or my siblings or close friends who haven't really dealt with anxiety and dealt with this kind of stuff, how do you maybe not necessarily explain it to them, but when they're trying to do the right thing and it's just not right, like how do you help them find the pieces to grow with you? Mm. So that feels like two questions. That feels like how do you help them help you? Yeah. And it feels like how do you help them grow? Yeah. So the first part of that is being honest. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you owe them an explanation. Right. But being honest in a way of this is how I feel, I am overwhelmed. And when I feel overwhelmed, it would be so helpful for me if you would just give me some space Mm -hmm. and give me 10 minutes. Or if I can't come to something, just understand that I do want to be there but I am not in a place right now where it feels healthy for me to show up to that. Mm -hmm. And to to know that making me feel guilty or putting pressure on me to come anyway doesn't really help me right now. Yeah. And I know that this is not something that's going to be like this forever. So I would be so grateful if you could show up for me like this because it would really support my own healing. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a very soft way to approach it. And it lets you off the hook and it lets them off the hook. Because people, I think, 
I'm pretty sure most people you're around are probably really good people that truly do care about you. Absolutely. They do want to help, but they feel helpless mm-hmm. and out of control. So if you're able to give them a way to support you very clearly, yeah. then you're like, you can take a breath because you're like, fuck, I don't have to deal with this. Thank mm-hmm. God. They can do what they need to do and mm-hmm. like feel like they did something for you, yeah. which helps everybody. The other part of that is helping others grow. Um, this path is not for everyone. Totally. And that can be really hard to swallow. But just showing up as the more aware, loving, grounded version of you mm-hmm. is a way to support them in their growth. Because you introduce things to them they didn't know about. Or all of a sudden they notice you're being different and they're like, wow, you used to have a lot of anxiety and not be able to handle this. And all of a sudden, like you seem like really peaceful and really comfortable in your own skin. What's going on? What are you doing? And then you're like, oh, well, I do this meditation and then I've gotten really comfortable with my body and I also focus on my breathing. Mm -hmm. And it it changed my life. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I want to implement that stuff. Totally. And it's honoring other people's paths while setting an example and knowing that it may not be for other people and that's okay. Yeah. And that's tough because as a controlling person, Mm -hmm. I want to control everyone else's experience Mm -hmm. and I want them to grow and them to figure it out. And when you see something for someone else, you're like, oh my God, I just want to tell them so I can fix it because this is crazy. Yeah. It's not your job. Right. And I think there's also something else that I've experienced in that is just like, I even know for me when I first started therapy, at first I was like, therapy is not for me. I have a great family. I'm doing well. I'm not an alcoholic, all these things. And the only reason I started to go to therapy was because I saw how my anxiety affected other people. And I feel like sometimes it's hard because you feel guilt for how your experience is affecting those around you, especially the ones you love. But I've tried my best to not take ownership of their experience and what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes I think we create experiences around us to validate our own feelings. Mm. So you want to feel pressure, you want to feel chaotic and in a place of lack. So you create experiences with people that fulfill that desire, Mm. because that is the darkness. Mm. So we surround ourselves with chaos. You have chaos in your mind. You have chaos in your life. Mm -hmm. When you step out of that, Mm -hmm. you're no longer taking responsibility for other people's feelings. You're no longer desiring to have chaos around you. You're quieting your mind. Your exterior world is getting quieter. Mm -hmm. You're no longer having to validate this need for chaos or whatever that is for you. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. That's a huge release of pressure and burden. Yeah. Because you only felt comfortable having this burden on you. Yeah. Now you're like, oh, I don't have to do that. I can live differently. Totally. Yeah. And another question that I had, I know you talk about this all the time and I feel like it's profound, but I don't exactly know what it looks like. But you always talk about how Connor holds quote space for you when you're in your stuff. And like, I think that, Kind of going off my last question, like I know that that's so important, and I'm just wondering what that means to you. What does him holding space look like? Mm. 
Such a good question because I do say that a lot. <laughs> he thinks I'm so ridiculous because I say that so much. I also say like the safe container. <laughs> For me, that looks like when I am spiraling or I am in my own chaos or my stuff, he shows up the way I need to be loved. So Connor has very quickly done the work to understand how I need to be loved and held. And that means just holding me and letting me cry and telling me it's okay and kissing me on the forehead and really being present with me. And he also is very good at not giving advice unless I ask for it. Mm. Because, and I have not been very good at this. I'm getting better. But I always thought you were just supposed to offer advice to people all the time. Apparently, that's not cool. (laughs) Unsolicited advice, not welcome. So I would be spiraling about something with life and feeling out of control. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. I can't stop crying. And he won't offer anything until I'm like, what should I do? So often, we just need to be heard and seen and acknowledged. And because he does that so well, my freakouts last maybe five minutes now. And before it felt so long and so big and so painful. Totally. And it's like, sometimes I just need to get it out. So he creates a judgment-free zone that is not full of talking and advice. And he's very present and very um, compassionate. And he, I can't reiterate this enough. He loves me and holds space for me the way I need to be loved, not the way he needs to be loved. That guy needs space. He is much better if, like, if I'm like, oh, it's okay, babe, don't worry. He gets so fucking pissed at me. (laughs) And he's just like, it's not okay. And I'm like, okay, I'm saying what I need, not what he needs. So what I'm learning, especially in the last couple of weeks is like, don't tell him it's okay. And don't go smother him. Walk away, give him space. Sometimes he leaves the house and that's very uncomfortable for me. I'm like, because mm-hmm. I have abandonment issues. So I'm like, oh my God, don't leave. He's never going to come back. I'm a terrible girlfriend. I've ruined this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you have different styles of showing up for each other. Yep. Let him go, let him process, give him space and he will be fine in 15 minutes. So understanding each other's love languages and needs and being selfless enough to show up for the person the way they need, that to me is holding a safe space and container for somebody. Totally. And I think that that's something my boyfriend and I are working on a ton. I think that honestly, before me, he really had very minimal experience with anxiety. And I think at first it was so much, I need to help her. I need to do something. Why is what I'm saying wrong? I'm trying to say the right things. This is what I think is right. And it just, it would frustrate him. And it was coming from a place of love, but it would just frustrate him so much. And I would feel bad saying, hey, this is what I need because it felt so guilty saying, hey, what you did didn't work, but hey, can you try this? And I felt so bad having to say that. But now, which I've told him, like the open and honest communication is so, so huge. And I think that that's such an interesting thing because I think sometimes when you're in that spiral and you're in that panic and you're just crying and it's like nothing in the world is gonna help. Sometimes, like you said, it's just being heard. It's just knowing that he's on the other line of the phone or he's sitting there and he's watching me and I'm not gonna die and I'm gonna be okay. And he doesn't have to say, let's talk through this. He just needs to say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening. 
I'm here. Don't worry. And I think that's something that's taken a lot of time to figure out. But I think what you said is huge and just every person is different. Some people may need someone to smother them and be on top of them and whatever. And other people just don't. And it's figuring that out. And I think we're figuring that out together. And also realizing that it's not the same every day. There are some days where even though he said this to me on Saturday and it worked super well, today it doesn't. And that's just recognizing that we're changing, we're flowing, and some days things look one way and some days they look another way. And it's getting comfortable with asking for what you need. Yes. Like the other day I was in our room and he was on the couch and I was crying, just working through something. And I came out and I was like, can I have a hug? And I just laid on top of him and he just held me. And that's all I needed. And I told him what I needed rather than sitting next to him on the couch and being all like weird and hoping that he'll figure out that I just want a hug. Like that's all I need. I don't even need to talk. I just asked for it. And he was so happy to hug me. I think we expect that there's some kind of telepathic energy between people and we hope that people know what we need and we're like pissed when they don't. And it's like, oh, that's because I literally didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. And that's such a huge thing. And the reason why I asked you about that space thing is I you know, was having a moment last week where I was just crying about something. And normally, like you did, you were in your room, you were trying to work through it yourself. And that's what I was trying to do. I was like, I'm going to try and push past this. And it wasn't doing anything. And simply calling him and just feeling like I wasn't by myself, just like all you needed was a hug, was all I needed in that moment. And like you said, I think in the past, I've just been not only scared to ask for it, but ashamed to. Like, oh, I need help. I don't want to need help. I should be able to do it on my own. And sometimes like, no, you know what? You do need help. And there's no shame in that. And I think it's taken me a long time to realize that. Well, and I think part of that is you needed help, but you weren't even helping yourself. Yeah. And that's where a lot of shame comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like, again, giving the power away. Like, oh, well, I needed someone else to do this for me or I needed them to treat me a certain way. The only reason you feel that way is because you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. And so it's knowing that, yeah, you can ask someone else for help, but you can ask yourself too. And it's okay. And you don't have to feel bad about that because you protect yourself. You have your own back. Yeah. You're safe. Yeah. And I think for so long in my life, I didn't have my own back. I was following a path so blindly and wasn't giving myself what I needed and was digging myself into such a deep hole. And I think, again, when you reach out to people and you reach out to people like I did with you, you realize so quickly that you're just not the only one. I mean, people like, like I said, I was at first so afraid to tell people about my job. I'd rather lie, which I'm not a liar. That's not me. But I'd rather lie than say the truth because it was too shameful. And now when I tell people, instead of what my brain tells me they're going to say, which is, God, you're a failure, you're whatever. They're like, that's incredible. Good for you. That place sounded like it was killing you. That's not worth it. That's not worth it. And I'm like, oh my God, people actually are okay with what I'm doing. So it's never actually that people are really judging me and saying all those things. It's that my brain is telling me that's what they're saying and that's what they're thinking. And that's where my shame comes from. My shame comes from thoughts that I feel like are happening that aren't even real, which is crazy. Thank you so much. Yay. Really, really proud of you. Thank you. I know this was hard. And I'm so grateful for you 
being willing to work with me and asking me to be here and for always in every single stage of your life, making time for other people. I mean, even when I first reached out to you when I was 17 or whatever, there were so many people that I reached out to that never responded. You responded immediately and you were just there. And there is so much to be said for that, that you are just so much willing to help the people around you. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. You. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Good shit's coming, girl. Yay! Woo! Woohoo! <laughs>